0: good morning everyone it's a privilege to come and open up god's word with you today i'm very thankful for our worship teams thank you for for alex and and our teams who who bring us christ centered gospel focused music every week praise god and it is a a privilege to open up the word to stand before you today and it is a sobering task to to open up the word of god and isn't it amazing that god through the foolishness of the message preached is pleased to save people he strengthens us and he also reminds us of things that we soon forget we often forget today we're in acts chapter 14 verses 19 through 28 and is a reminder to us this passage is reminding us that god's people suffer christians go through tribulation Through many tribulations we shall enter the kingdom of God. And we we suffer not just as all people suffer in a general way, but we suffer for the gospel. And that is significant. The early Christians rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. We want to rejoice as well. So please take your Bibles and stand with me. I'm going to read Acts, 19, Acts 14, verses 19 through 28, and I'm here to tell you today, God is real, His Word is true, He wants to do something in your heart and amongst us that we cannot do, and we come to the preaching of the Word of God not to be entertained, that we would be pleased, but we come to the preaching of the Word of God that we would be edified and that God would be praised. that that Jesus Christ would be praised. So hear the word. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word of God in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch. For they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. And Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Thank you, Lord, that you, you are present with us and that you want to do in us and through us wonderful things lord we we want to yield to you today lord and ask that you would have your way with us in christ's name we pray amen and please be seated through many tribulations we shall enter the kingdom of god all christians suffer we suffer for christ and the gospel The main idea of this passage is that God is going to bring his people through tribulation to his kingdom. That God, if you're a Christian, that God is going to carry you, is going to see you through to heaven. And God brings you through tribulation so that he would accomplish his work in and through you, ultimately for his glory. All for his glory. He will see you through. He will carry you. This is our confidence in Christ. This is what we can be assured of in Christ. And in this passage today, I see three actions that God is taking with Paul and Barnabas. And he takes us through as well. Three actions that God takes in order to accomplish His work in and through us for His glory and bring us through tribulation to His kingdom. I want to call your attention first to verse 19 and to the first thing we see God doing here. We see God sustaining His people. God sustains. The idea here is that you won't die until God is is through with you here. That you won't die until your God-ordained work on earth is done. God sustains His people. In verse 19, we see them persecuting Paul. And and his Jewish enemies are traveling over a hundred miles in a day where it was very hard to travel a hundred miles. And they chased him down to Lystra. And they did so because they hated him, they hated Jesus, they hated the gospel. They chased him down to Lystra, And his reward for being faithful to the Lord was to be tortured and left for dead. This is the reward that Paul got for preaching the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. He goes from being worshipped by the pagans in Lystra, and they're worshipping as a god, and, and he goes from that all the way to being hated so intensely that they try to kill him, and when they leave him there on the side of the road, they think he's dead. They have such an utter disregard for human life, for the sanctity of human life, that they literally just leave him there, in their minds, dead. He had gone from being worshipped as a god by the pagans, and we saw this last week, but he and Barnabas knew something that we need to grasp very well that God is not worshipped if we are and that we must point everything to him if we want to be pleasing to him and that's what Paul and Barnabas did they pointed everything to God they pointed everything to Jesus and the gospel and they didn't take any of the glory that is due God alone but the reward for that faithfulness how Paul was counted worthy to suffer for the the name of Christ is that he was stoned and left for dead They would stone you in those days, they would put you usually in a pit, and they would take large rocks, large stones, and throw them on you, and crush your bones, and kill you. So Paul was left for dead in that condition. He had to have been broken and bloodied, and a total mess. The apostles were facing all sorts of persecution. Paul in the, in, in the epistles would say, look, here's the stuff I've been through for Christ. Here's how many times I've been shipwrecked and, and whipped and beaten and stoned for the cause of the gospel. This is what has happened to me. And he recounts. And the reason why he could recount it, as the Holy Spirit led him to write, is because God wasn't through with him yet. He was still on his journey to heaven. He was still being used for the gospel. We know that life is a a joy-filled gift from God, but it is also a sorrow-filled gift from God. Just life in general. You you say, my life is a gift from God. And there is joy and there is sorrow in that life that is such a gift from God. eternal life is the same way. It is filled with joy and sorrow. And Jesus said, this is the way it's going to be. With the gospel truth of the glories of God in Christ, there's also the gospel truth that you will suffer for the name of Christ. What kind of difficulties have you faced for your faith in Christ? You could probably tell stories of of difficulties coming your way because you were faithful to Christ. You clung to Christ and as a result, your reward was to be mistreated, was to be persecuted. This is what happened to Paul. You go on to the next verse, verse 20, and it is an amazing, amazing thing that happens. And it's very short, and it's very brief, and you could almost miss what really happened. The disciples circle around Paul, and it doesn't tell us what they did while they circled around him, but presumably they're praying. The guy is on the ground, left for dead, probably unconscious at this point. But we read that he basically gets up and enters the city. This is a miraculous healing. This is a providential, sovereign, miraculous healing of God. Where God breaks into the natural order of things and does what only he can do. And he literally raises Paul from the presumed dead. This is what happened here. This is what he does. He, he literally gets up and enters the city. Can you imagine what the people were thinking? Like, this guy was dead. We left him for dead. What is he doing going back in the city? This is a healing miracle performed by God. Paul was revived. Paul was brought back to life. In July of 1984, there was a man named Terry Wallace who was in a car crash in Mountain View, Arkansas, July of 1984. And the, the crash was so horrendous that he was unconscious and he was in a coma. And he was in a coma for 19 years. 19 years. Not saying a word, not doing anything. He's laying in the bed for 19 years until June 11, 2003. He woke up. After 19 years, he woke up. Literally 20 years in a coma, he he wakes up. His first words were, mom, Pepsi, and milk. His mom was sitting by his bedside, and I guess after 19 years, you want a Pepsi. And then you need some milk to wash it down. I don't know. But God was not done with him yet. The guy's still alive. God wasn't done with Paul yet. God isn't done with you yet. You're not going to die until God is is done with you here on earth. Every day that you would live was ordained, was marked out before you ever lived one of them. And so a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid to die. They're afraid of whether they're going to die at a certain point or from a certain cause, and all I can say is because God is sustaining your life, you can relax about that. Of all people, I'm the big worrier, and so I've I've thought of every scenario of how I could die. And that's just, it's just a foolish waste of time because we are not going to leave earth one second early. When you die, it's not like God's going to say, oh, I needed that person tomorrow. No, you die and you're off the scene. God's purpose for your life is over. And he purposed your life before there was even one day. You want to know what Paul's perspective on his life on earth was? Go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. You know, here's the guy. If you want to know what kind of perspective you should have about your life, Talk to the guy who was stoned and left for dead on the side of the road because he preached Christ. If you want to know how you should view your life today on earth until God takes you home or Jesus returns, whichever comes first, then talk to the guy that was shipwrecked, that was beaten times without number, that was harassed, that was downcast. Talk to him. Well, the Holy Spirit's talking to us through the words that he inspired Paul to write in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. Here's what he says. This is Paul's perspective on it. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He's saying... To live here on earth is to have Christ in me, my hope of glory. To have the joy of the Lord as my strength. To be forgiven in Christ and to be used for his purposes. To me, to live is Christ. Christ is my life. But if I die, that's even better because I'm going to be with him forever. He says in verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, so he's saying, look, if I'm going to keep on living here, that means fruitful labor for me. And that's not self-directed fruitful labor. It's not so he can have a business and make all this money or have all these friends or be famous or whatever. No, this, he's saying that if I live on in the flesh, I'm going to live for Jesus and the gospel. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to get out of it. I'm not going to worry about me all the time. I'm going to to think, what does God want me to do for gospel purposes? This is what Paul is saying. And he says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain on in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That's the kind of perspective we should have about our life here on earth. If you're not dead right now, God has a purpose for your life. None of you are on life support right now. You're all here. You're all breathing. The the heart is ticking. You are are thinking and you're planning what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And all I can say is that God is not done with you yet. Yet. By the way, you, you kind of are on life support. You're on life support because God is supporting your life. He's sustaining your life until he takes you home or Jesus returns, whichever comes first. That's always our answer. You won't die until God says. He knows. This is the first thing we see in this passage. God sustains your life. You won't die until your God-ordained work on earth is done. And because he is sustaining your life, you can Relax about that. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Relax. Just let go of all that worry about that and just know that I'm God. I, I've, I'm sovereign. I'm going to providentially orchestrate the events of your life. And there will be times I'll break in with a miracle that will leave you awestruck. That's the first thing we see. Let me point you to the second thing. Verses 21 to 23, the second thing. God strengthens his people. God strengthens his people through his people. Because of that, you need to help God's people everywhere you find them. God strengthens his people through his people. So if you're one of his people, if you've come to faith in Christ, and you're trusting in the crucified buried, risen, exalted, and returning Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to help God's people everywhere you find them. Basically, because God is strengthening his people through his people, you need to be relating well with other Christians. You need to be relating well with the body of Christ. You can't say, I've got a grudge against that person. I'm not gonna talk to them. You've gotta ask God, how can I bless them? How can I bless them? How can I be a blessing? Not what is in it for me? Not what am I going to get out of the out of the situation? But Lord, how do you want to use me to help them? That should be our prayer. What we see in verse 21 is that they were multiplying ministry. Verse 21 tells us that they right after right after Paul gets basically risen from the dead, the presumed dead, they go to Derby. And verse 21 says they preach the gospel there and they make many disciples. They were doing exactly what we're called to do. Preach the gospel one-on-one or if God gives you a group, uh, one-on-one or in your household or with your, your coworkers or whoever God puts before you, preach the gospel and make many disciples. That's our calling. And it tells us that they preached the gospel and made many disciples and what did they do next? They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Now that should be somewhat of a shocker to us, because at Antioch they were chased out of town. In Iconium there was a plot against them. In Lystra Paul was left for dead. They're going back to these same places. See, their plan was: we're going to connect the dots here. We're going to we, God led us to all these places. Now we're going to go back and visit each one of these places. And you'd say to yourself, who in their right mind would do that when they're chased out of one town, when there's plots against their life in another, and when they actually think they took your life in another? And the reason why is because there were Christians there. There was a church in each one of these places. And So as they moved on, there was a church of believers left there, and they cared more about the church than they did their own lives. We should care more about other believers than we do about our own life. This is a tribute to the power of God in the lives of Paul and Barnabas that they would even consider stepping foot into these places once again. What do we do? We say, well, you know, the person hurt me there. I'm never going back there. Well, this person did this. I'm never going to interact with them again. And because and, we don't forgive, because we don't, we don't reconcile, we don't repent. And that's what we need to do. See, Paul and Barnabas were not holding it against the people of Lystra and say, well, I'm not going back in there because they tried to kill me. They went back because they knew that the gospel purposes were higher. And so they went back and they stepped foot in those cities again and they were willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel because there were beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in those towns. I think every one of you, if you're a believer, you know what it's like to feel so deeply In Christ-centered love for other believers, that you willingly set aside your own desires to help them. Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, our very selves, because you had become very dear to us. How did they become very dear to them? Is it because they did things for them all the time? Is it because they, they liked them so much? Is, what, what was it? It was the Holy Spirit in them that generated in them a love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And that same Holy Spirit wants to do the same thing to you. And let's just say that today you are just gunked up. Your soul is like gunked up with hatred and unforgiveness and, and holding grudges. You can let that go right this moment. Right this very moment and confess your sin to God. Don't confess someone else's sin to God. That's not a Holy Spirit-inspired thing. Confess your sins to God and then go and reconcile with whoever you need to reconcile and then, and then rejoice, revel in the freedom that God gives you that you didn't have before. You were stuck. You couldn't move. You couldn't see any fruit of ministry in your life because you let these things clog it up. Let God unstick you (laughs) okay let God let God do that in your life God wants to strengthen his people through you so you have to be relating well in a healthy manner with other Christians there's just no room there's just no room to say I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna interact with that person or I'm not gonna we're talking about people in our assembly here there's just no room to hold any grudge against anybody in the church there's just no room to say I've been burned before. I'm not going to be burned again. I'm just going to, you know, be strong. No, that's weak. Do what God says. Multiply ministry. God will inspire you. See what they were doing? Look at verse 22. They were really telling the truth. They were grounding them in the faith. It says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. The strengthening word there, that's that's a present participle. And it means that they were doing ongoing teaching, ongoing biblical counseling with these believers. They were helping them on an ongoing way. They were strengthening their souls. It also says they were encouraging them. That's another present participle. It means they were, in an ongoing, sustained effort, they were telling them, keep going in the faith. You know how many Christians just want to give up? And, they, and they're, they're maybe disconnected to the church or they're, they're just disillusioned and discouraged. And, and they're telling these Christians, keep following Jesus. It's worth it. Keep trusting God. Keep going to his word. Do you notice they tell them to continue in the faith? They don't tell them to follow them. They tell them to follow Jesus. Get in the word. Get in prayer. Be in fellowship with other believers. I can just hear Paul and Barnabas saying to them, who are tempted to give up, they're tempted to give up, and they say, don't give up. Don't give up. If you're tempted today to give up, I say, don't give up. If you're a Christian, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't say it's not worth it. Don't say it doesn't work. Don't say I'm done. No, you can fight the good fight of faith. You can cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. You can trust God with everything in your life. I have found that to be true. That is my testimony to you. I have found that to be true. Long for heaven and then be fully engulfed in ministry here because God will accomplish what concerns you today. Psalm 138.8 tells us that. God will accomplish what concerns you. He is not asleep at the wheel. He is not you know, shirking his responsibility to you. He is actually doing good for you in Christ all the time. We have all the riches of Christ. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Our, our position in Christ is, is secure. And God wants to strengthen other Christians through you. I think I know how a lot of you probably feel, though. You probably feel like, well, wait a minute, I'm pouring my life out all the time for other people, and nobody's given me anything. No one's coming my way with encouragement. And I feel your pain. I feel your pain. But all I can tell you is, The biblical thing to do is to keep trusting God and keep, just keep giving. Keep asking God to help you be a blessing to other people. I know that a lot of you don't get a lot of encouragement. I want to encourage you right now. If you're a Christian, Jesus has you. He owns you. He holds you. He keeps you. You are safe. You are secure in Christ. You have assurance of salvation. You have security eternally, and you're never going to be left alone. You you might feel like you're alone. You're never going to be left alone. You're never going to be forsaken. You're never going to be just discarded by the side of the road, beaten and bloodied. God says, I am with you always. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Paul and Barnabas are, just, are just, just, they're loving them so much. And they're saying, they're saying, through many tribulations, we will come into the kingdom. And when they said that, what they're saying is, this must be, this is the way it is. Romans 8, 17 tells us, this is the way of life for a Christian. This is the way of life for a Christian. This is part of God's plan. And they are not weakening them by telling them that everything is going to be a cakewalk. You know what a cakewalk is? When I was in elementary school, I went to Edith Unsworth Elementary School in Downey. This is late 60s, early 70s. And every spring they had a carnival, a school carnival. And my favorite part was the cakewalk. Now you're saying, well, they didn't have much going on in that carnival, did they? No, they didn't. No petting zoo. You know, I don't even think they had snow cones. But they had the cakewalk. And there was a big circle with numbers on it. And you pick a number and you stand there. And then they start the music, and you start walking around the circle. And the whole time, what you're thinking is, I hope that they call my number when the music stops. You know why? They're going to give me a cake. Like a real cake, a homemade cake, not a fake store bought cake, a homemade cake slathered with icing all over it. And that's, I just wanted that. But the Christian life is not a cakewalk. It's not a carnival. By the way, remember last week, sugar's bad for you. You don't want cake, okay? Cake will ruin you. The Christian life is not a carnival, and our purpose is not to be entertained. I said this as I was reading the Word this morning. I said, Look, what did I say at the beginning? That we come to the preaching of the Word of God. We come to the Word of God even in your own personal time, and it is not to be entertained so that you will feel pleased. It is so that we would be edified and that God would be praised. Jesus promised you pain. Jesus promised you a cross. Jesus promised you that you would die to self. That's a very painful process. If you're a husband, you're called to to lay down your life for your wife and your kids. If God has blessed you with kids. If if you are a, a brother or sister in Christ with other believers, you are called to lay down your life for the brethren. To say no to yourself and, and, and whatever God wants to do, and, and cake will ruin you. But the cross is going to strengthen you. The cross will strengthen you. You think, well, well, I don't want to be weak. Well, we already are weak. God is strong. His grace is sufficient for us. And we live in a world that, that there... You look around. There is nothing untainted by sin... Everything is infected with this this disease. But if you are a Christian, that means that there is nothing in your life not covered by the blood of Christ. There's nothing that's not covered by the blood of Christ. You have forgiveness. You have reconciliation. You have hope. You have joy. You have peace. So, Paul and Barnabas are just speaking into their lives like this, just like we should with one another. And you get to verse 23, and they give them a big gift. God inspires them to give them a big gift. They appoint elders in the church. The the word appoint there means to elect by a show of hands. It means that everyone in that church agreed, just like in Acts 6, where they had the proto deacons. Everybody agreed this is the right way to go. And they appointed elders for them in every church. They knew that those churches needed elders to care for them and shepherd them and teach them and love them and help them. And so with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Because up to this point, Paul and Barnabas were, were kind of the main, the main people in these churches. And they're coming back through and they're saying, no, God has raised up leadership from among you and you, you're, you're good. We're going on to other work and, and this church is going to be is going to be good because the Holy Spirit has, has raised up leaders in it. They knew these churches needed leadership to fulfill their calling and continue growth in Christ. And so they appoint presbyteroi. It's the Greek word for, for elder and it's a plural word. It suggests a, a group of men who are called by God to shepherd a congregation together. They share equally in the task of leading the respective churches. This is what we have at Grace. We have a plurality of elders. We work together. Go over to Acts chapter 20. I want to to show you a beautiful picture of, of this in the church. And it's where Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. It starts at verse 17, Acts 20, 17. And he talks to them about how he had lived among them. And how he had served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. How he didn't shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable for them. And you get down to verse 28. Now he has already called the elders to him. So in verse 17, he called the elders, presbyteros. He called them. And then verse 28, he says to them, pay careful attention. So if you're an elder, this is for you. Pay careful attention to yourselves not in a self-centered way, but making sure that your life is right with God and with others and that you're honest and that you're humble and that you're bold to do what God wants you to do. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. Pay attention to the flock in which you're part of them. You're not over them. You're not looking down. You're not remote. You're with them. You're living among them. And it says that you are in that flock and that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Another word for elder. Episcopos. And then he says, to care for. It's another word for elders. Shepherd, poimen. To shepherd, to care for the church of God. And he tells them why. Because Christ purchased this church with his blood. That's how important the church is. That's how important it is. How long did this church exist before they had elders? We don't know, but it's probably a year or two. It was long enough for God to make it clear who he had gifted in this church to lead as servants for the church. And so Paul and Barnabas officially recognized really probably those who were already recognized as spiritual leaders among them. Now, is this a pattern for the church today, or is this just what the early church did I want you to remember that I've said this over and over again about the book of Acts, but it is, it is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning it describes what God did in and through them. It doesn't prescribe exactly how we are to operate. So it's not like, hey, let's, let's preach the gospel, and make a bunch of disciples over here, leave them alone for about a year or so, and just see what happens, and then come back through and appoint elders, we go to the epistles, we go to 1 Timothy 3, we go to Titus 1 and elsewhere, and we say, this is the pattern we've been given to, to lay hands on leaders and to, to see who God raises up and appoint in leadership. Unless you think this is just for elders, I can tune out, this is just towards me, not, not something I should do, just know that, that the idea of strengthening the church and encouraging people to, to go on with the Lord is not just for elders, but for all believers. It's a calling on all of our lives to not, to not deal selfishly, but to deal as God would have us. First, First Thessalonians 5, 14, Paul says, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Look, I know something about all of us, right? that we're that a lot of us you're going through hard times and some of you you're going through really hard times and it's partly uh from outside influences and it's partly from your own choices or everything in between maybe you say no it's all about outside influences that have come in and caused trouble okay or some of you say no it's it's all my own doing uh, i made some bad choices and it's over here but everything in between everything on the spectrum this is we're going through hard times through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of god and i'm here to tell you that, that you have hope in christ there is hope in Christ, and you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't do it alone. On August 5th, 2010, you probably heard of this story before. They made a movie out of it. There were 33 miners who were in a gold and copper mine in Chile. And it was the, the San Jose copper and gold mine. And the, the, the mine collapsed, and they were literally buried alive. They were trapped underground like 2,000 feet underground. And no one could hear from them. They didn't know what was going on. For 17 days, the miners that were trapped didn't hear a word. None of them died. And for 17 days, no one up above, no one above ground had any uh, word from them whether they were alive or not. So they're drilling down, trying to get to them. 17 days in, they, they reach them, and they find out that all 33 are still alive at that point. They found out that they had lived three days for 17 days on three days' worth of emergency food, like a little sip of water and a little part of a cracker for each one of you per day. That was all you got. Now they were finally rescued after 69 days. None of them died. All 33 lived. And what kept them alive? It was their teamwork, that the older miners helped the younger and the younger helped the older. They stuck together. They wouldn't let their friends lose hope. Don't let your friend in Christ lose hope. There was, there was one man, Luis Orzua, and he was the, the shift operator, the supervisor, and he gathered them all together when it first happened, and they were in the subterranean survival room. They called it the refuge. Good name, right? The refuge. And he basically said, this is what we can do. We're going we're to survive. We're going to do this. We must strengthen each other in Christ. We must strengthen each other's souls. We must encourage each other to continue on in the Lord. Psalm forty-six, one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And guess what? He uses Christians to strengthen Christians, to point them to him and to his word. I love what Paul said to the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said, We always... Thank God for you. Because your faith is growing abundantly and, and we want this to be said of us, the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. It's not waning. It's not going away. It's increasing. And it says this. It says, we always pray. You know what they prayed? That God would make you worthy of your calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. God wants to strengthen other believers through your life, through your intentional acting for their good. I want to point you to the third thing. It's found in the last few verses, 24 to 28. Not only does God sustain you, so you don't have to worry about your life, you, don't have to, you can relax about that. God strengthens believers through believers, so you have to help other believers as often as you can and, and, and relate well with them. But the third thing is that God saves. He is saving people. And so you need to retell his glorious deeds. You need to retell his amazing deeds. What you see here is a missions report. Verse 24, they pass through Pisidia. They come to Pamphylia. Verse 25, they speak the word in Perga. They're preaching the gospel. They're telling people you can be forgiven by Jesus because of his shed blood. Then they go to Italia, and they're at this port, and they get on a ship. Verse 26, they sail to Antioch. Now, I love the phrasing of this. That's where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they fulfilled. That's where they were sent from. This was their sending church. They came back to their sending church, just like Kayla did today. And they they gathered the church together. Verse 27, they gathered the church together, and when they gathered, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, how he had saved people. They declared it. It simply means they reported back. They brought the news. They told stories of God's wonderful deeds. Just like Psalm 78 says, we will tell to the generation to come the praises of God and what he has done. We're not going to hide these things. We're going to tell these things. You know, Kayla didn't have to make up stories when she came back. Amy, when she came back from England, didn't have to make up stories and say, I got to have something good. No, you just tell them what God did. Tell them what God did. I could just... I can just see older people hearing the the words from Paul and Barnabas and being thrilled in their souls. I can just see kids hearing that going, I want to do that when I grow up. Or, no, I'll just go out into the street right now and talk to my friends. Kids, don't play in the streets, okay? Back then, they were safer. But Kayla came back and shared what God did. Jared's going to do it. Andrew's going to do it. South Africa team's going to do it. Urban Hope team's going to do it. And as, as God gives us, ability as we send more and more people out people are going to come back and tell us what God did and it's going to encourage our hearts because God saves people Jesus saves people this is what the gospel is all about because God is saving we can be retelling we can be recounting we can be rejoicing in what God does what does he do he rescues us from sin and hell Ephesians 2 tells us you were dead in your trespasses and sins you walked in them. You were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our sins, by his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we are saved. And by the way, some of you say, well, I'm saved. That's a great way to put it. Some of you also need to add another, another, uh, another tense to that. God is saving me. A very biblical way to see your salvation. We are being saved. Christians are being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And, and here's what it, what, it, what it draws in. Your justification. Where that instantaneous legal act of God when you came to faith in Christ, whereby he declared your sins forgiven and Christ's righteousness yours. That happened in the past. But now you're in a process of sanctification. It's a lifelong work of God and you, whereby you become more free of sin and more like Christ. Yeah, it needs your cooperation. You don't just sit there and get sanctified. You got to want the word of God. You got to want to have Jesus as Lord of your life. You have got to want to obey the word of God. And then, coming in the future is our glorification, where God is going to take away every trace of sin from you and give you a resurrection body. You are being saved. If you're a Christian, you are being saved. Jesus, Hebrews 7, 25 tells us, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. I want you to notice one more thing and then we'll close. Verse 28 says that they spent no little time. They took time with the disciples. They remained a long time. What were they doing? They were strengthening their sending church. They were nurturing new churches. They were retelling the glories of what God had done. And and you need to do this. You need to tell the stories. You need to tell the stories of God's providential, sovereign, miraculous working in your life. You need to tell the stories of God's faithful protection of your life. You need to tell the stories of His ample provision for everything you need, not what you want, but what you need. During World War II, on May 7th, 1943, there was a U.S. bomber plane that crashed. And a man named Louis Zamperini and two other men were lost at sea. Zamperini was lost at sea for 47 days. He was clinging to a life raft. And while he was clinging to that life raft, he said, Lord, if you get me out of this, if you save me, I will serve you my whole life. It was a, a a lifeboat promise. We got rescued, but he got rescued by the Japanese who put him in a prison camp for over a year. Finally, he got rescued and brought back to America, and he completely forgot his promise to God until 1949. And he was in Los Angeles at the Billy Graham crusade, and he heard Billy Graham preaching the gospel of the grace of God in Christ and how he could be forgiven because of Christ's shed blood. And he came to faith in Christ that day. And what happened next in his life is, is what God wants to do in all of us. He wants to save you and then have you go tell the wondrous deeds of God on your behalf. And he was able to actually go back to Japan and preach the gospel to hundreds of Japanese troops that he formerly hated. And he saw many of them come to faith in Christ. God is saving. This is Memorial Day weekend. And it is far more than a barbecue, and a day off. We forget that on Memorial Day in America, we are remembering our heroes. We are remembering those who died as American soldiers to give us freedom as Americans. We've got to remember the true meaning. We're remembering our heroes. But think about it on a much, much larger scale. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we often forget the sacrifice that Jesus made in our place on the cross. He is our hero. He bought our freedom at the cross. He bought our liberty at the cross. He bought our forgiveness at the cross. He opened a door of faith to us when he died for us on the cross. So we have to remember our hero capital H, hero, who set us free to worship him and to serve God's purposes for however long God has us here. Praise God that God sustains our life. We don't have to worry about that. Praise God that he strengthens others through our life, that we could actually relate well with other Christians by the Holy Spirit's empowering. And praise God that that he is saving and we need to be retelling those wondrous deeds till Christ returns, or he takes us home, whichever comes first. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you will see us through tribulation to your kingdom, that you sustain our lives, that you strengthen us, that you save us. Lord, our lives belong to you. May we, by your grace, tell everyone what you have done and what you are doing in our life the praise of Jesus Christ. Amen.